Hi guys, welcome to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube channel and as a podcast, and I'm your host, Stefan Neff. Today, I've got the absolute pleasure to talk to someone who has had a tremendous journey. Her journey led her from riches to rags to riches, so to speak. And it is a, a very exciting journey, keeping in mind that most of us are financially illiterate. And when we are in our cycle of getting pissed, getting hungover, uh, being in a coma somewhere, and then repeat return, um, yeah, we are not really paying too much attention to our, to our finances. So, uh, and uh, this lovely guest today will also share her, her take on uh, how alcohol has helped her career. There's no doubt in many financial uh, institutions, there's a strong culture of bonding with alcohol, but equally when times were not so good. So here we go. I've got Sherry Burke. Welcome Sherry on my show. And I'm so pleased that you agreed to be part of our show today. Welcome to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me here today, Stefan. It's been a, a journey getting here in lots of different ways. And it's a delight to be here. Shoot away. You were uh, living an exciting life. Let's go quite a little bit back in your story you as a young woman i mean when you grew up what did you want to be what was your your always your dream did you have a dream and or how did you end up in the financial world well it's it's quite funny because i don't think i dreamed of being an accountant which is when i came out of college what i was trained to be when i was younger i would dream a lot because it was an escape from the environment I grew up in. It was, you know, I grew up in a dysfunctional family and my dad was a rageaholic and my mother was a prescription drug addict. Mm. And so it was always, I'd read to escape and then I'd escape into my, my imagination. That was long before I discovered alcohol and a few other little, um, you know, things like marijuana and pot and other stuff. But I, I wanted to be an oceanographer. I wanted to awesome. dive and see the bottom of the ocean. And I thought, well, maybe I'll be a lawyer. And my mother was one of those, even though she would be in and out of her state, she always said, be the best that you can be. And just because you're a girl doesn't mean you have to limit yourself. And I really took that on. And then there was, in high school, I had the opportunity to be in an organization here in the States called Junior Achievement where you form small companies. And for some reason, I got stuck at the time, I thought, as the treasurer. 
And I, <laughs> I was like, oh no. Others were doing the exciting things like being the president and the head of operations. But I discovered at that time, I liked numbers. They made sense to me. But that isn't the case I've discovered for a lot of people. <laughs> so true. Just out of interest, do you know what happened to the president of your little, uh, little venture? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question. But no, I don't. I really <laughs> don't. Something would be interesting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it would be. I'll have to see if I can remember his name and look him up. I'm sure he's someplace on Google, for sure. So here you were, playing around with numbers, and suddenly the numbers made sense to you. And uh, suddenly, you know, in your young mind, uh, a career uh, was developing. So you went into, uh, into the training. Um, what does it take to become an accountant in the U.S.? Well, I am actually a certified public accountant. I'm currently, um, I think it's called inactive, which right. there's a lot of stuff and I won't go into that. But to become a CPA here in the state of California, you have to go through college and get at least a bachelor's. It might be right. a master's now. And that means a lot of uh, different coursework, primarily the later years was focused on accounting and finance and economics and there was you know the liberal arts part at the beginning and then you spend two years in kind of an internship they do pay you for that oh, excellent. <laughs> yes it was really nice and the money was good <laughs> and they, they teach you uh, the ways of being a cpa so yeah. I had all of this great training, and I eventually did get my master's later uh, in night school as I was working for yeah. someone else. Yeah. But here I was, just this you know, young woman entering the world of finance. And at that point, it was very much a male-dominated world, and I was terrified. It was one of those things that, oh no. And I had started to uh, discover the relief that I would get from a drink or two. And that I came out of being this shy introvert and I could at least act as if I was this confident, knowledgeable accountant. <laughs> Oh, I recognize myself, myself so much in your words. Unbelievable. And, and it's amazing. So many other people I have talked about, talked with, have those same kind of um, situations that when they discovered alcohol and other kinds of recreational drugs, that they they had a sense of ease and comfort that they didn't have at any other time. And it worked really well for me for a long time. And I was being successful in my career. I moved into private industry as a, a manager in a large corporation. And just, I felt like a fraud, of course, and kept uh, drinking 
Now, I got to the point that I would go to lunch with someone I felt, even though he didn't drink, I could at least have one beer mm -hmm. and I couldn't wait until the end of the day. So I could start to get that ease and comfort again. And it became worse and worse over time. And I met the man who was my first husband, who really taught me how to drink well. And it was easy to drink the way I drink, because after all, he was an alcoholic, and I certainly couldn't be. How could this young, educated woman be an alcoholic? Well, it happened. And I kept getting more and more promotions. I was doing better and better. I was making more and more money. I had learned how to use credit so I could take the money I had already earned and buy the things I felt I deserved and didn't have to pay for them for a while, which I think a lot of people today do as well, have done and has caused a lot of people issues. In fact, uh, an interesting tidbit here, before the whole recent events of the last few months, on average, people, at least here in the States, had four credit cards with about $3,500 on it. So by the time you add that up, that was something like almost $35,000 of credit card debt. Wow. Now, and, and today, a lot of young people and even older people have student loans. Hmm. And it's really a difficult situation if you are trying to uh, use your income to pay a portion of it and still are chasing a lifestyle you oh, feel you deserve. You know about that, Peter? Please. I mean, oh my goodness. Stefan, it's Stefan, but you're actually right. Because, no, 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 you are actually right. You are, you are very knowledgeable because my second name is Peter. So Stefan, Peter. Thank you. Peter, nice rescue there. Nice, well done. <laughs> No, 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 no. This is, oh, please, I've been there. I've been exactly what you describe as is, as a, as a young man, I had no financial understanding whatsoever. I was financially illiterate. I was far more interested in drinking and in having a good time than actually paying bills or, or doing anything that I now uh, expect a man to be doing. I was a real boy, but that boy yes. didn't grow up until the until I was you know, early forties, and that is actually quite a sad statement to make. It is mm -hmm. uh, we I understand very much what you have just said, and too many people out there are still doing that. Mm -hmm. And then surprise, surprise! If no money is there, suddenly you've got stress, and suddenly you drink more, exactly. and there's more stress and yes. so on. It can all become a beautiful, vicious cycle, isn't it? 
absolutely. And part of what I started to get into was I should have known better because of the training that I had had. <laughs> and it didn't matter. It was still party time. And I started, it became a game. It's like, oh, okay, I can get this. I can have this status thing. And it's life's on. And I was always chasing something to make me feel better. And it was stuff. It was drugs and alcohol. And it was like trying to fill a hole that had no bottom to it. So true. And finally, one day, it just became... it. Gradually, I began to realize that all of the stuff I had, the uh, great job, the car, the house, the husband, all of it wasn't, a, it was not working. And I found myself at one point driving to work and on a freeway that's, you know, a road here that if there's no traffic, you can go 65 miles an hour. But in Southern California during rush hour, that's rare. <laughs> and, and I wanted to take that car and I wanted to ram it into a freeway abutment. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that stopped me was that I figured if I wasn't successful, the pain of doing that the aftermath of that would be worse than the pain I was already in. So I started looking for other uh, alternatives. And the thought of not drinking was shocking for a long time. And let I me, had a- Let me stop go, you there because yes, I, I, I would like to go back a little bit because okay. you have fast forwarded through a long period. I, I get the feeling because you started becoming a CPA. What was that? Early twenties? You would have yes, finished your I training. Did. I did. Career letter um, with promotions. When would you say was the most successful time you had as a CPA? When were sort of the biggest deals? When was when were you happiest in that phase of your life? And there might well, be two, two pinnacles that I'm talking about here. Well, it's rather ironic. I left being a formal CPA and went into private industry in yeah. a company. And it was actually just slightly after I stopped drinking after I'd gotten sober, I had been promoted to vice president of finance of a, a division of the company I was working for. And as a member of the uh, management team, the executive team, I was engaged in strategy and I was engaged with the other um, senior members, people I had been afraid of before 
And I still had that fraud sense. But at that point, I had started to develop tools that I could rely upon to allow me to be comfortable in that. But it was really after I got sober. I was um, what is you sometimes here called a high bottom drunk. I didn't lose anything except my self-respect. So a high functioning alcoholic is another word for that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've written in my book about that. And it's just, I, I classify myself in the same way, although I would actually call it more an oxymoron. Uh, I wouldn't call my, my being functioning. It was... It was what it was. Yes, I held down a job. Yes, I brought in money. But no, I don't think I was functioning very well. It, it was certainly for me one of those that I managed to find a way to kind of mix the alcohol and the drugs and, and show up and do. I was doing good work. I was just a, afraid that someone was going to find out that hmm. I, I was a fraud or something. Hmm. And it kept driving me to do more hmm. of that thing. And then it quit, hmm. quit working. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. My well, it's work performance between, was, I'm it's no, no, it's a mixture between uppers and downers and, and you want to be mm -hmm. bouncing in front of all your peers. You want to show that you're an action woman and go out there, a go-getter. And then afterwards, at some stage, you need to come down. So again, and whilst you're still on your, on your half alcoholic, half caffeine, half adrenaline high, um, you, you, of course, uh, look for the, the Mariana, look for the sleeping tablet, look for whatever else gives you that, ah, oh, gives you the, the calming down later. Mm -hmm. so very yeah. much been there, done that. And no doubt, sooner or later, most of us, either high-functioning or non-functioning alcoholics, end up in the same boat that we end up in a scenario where even we blind, dumb and stupid people uh, are realizing that we are no longer in control. What moment was that for you? Are you happy to share that? <laughs> well, I've shared it a lot. So, yeah. you know, it, it, uh, uh, it was probably a New Year's Eve day when I, sort of came out of a blackout coming out of some place I realized I shouldn't have been. And I then got behind the wheel of my car and did the prayer so many alcoholics do, which is, God, if you just keep me safe, I promise I will never do this again. And I did get home. I didn't get pulled over. It was early in the day on New Year's Eve. So the partiers, the so-called amateurs, weren't out yet. <laughs> uh -huh. 
And it, it was when I got home and I got home safely and I passed out and came to for New Year's Eve that I realized I was done. That was it. I could not do that anymore. And that began my journey to um, complete sobriety. It took me about 10 months, but I never was that drunk again. Did you break up with all of your old friends, i.e. the marijuana, the alcohol, the tablets, or were there friends that, that easier left your inner circle? It took me 10 months because I gradually let go of all of them. And over time, also the people I used to party with. So true, so true. Yeah. And why is that? Because we alcoholics, we, we don't want to be reminded that we are maybe a little bit drinking too much. You mean the third bottle of wine is a little bit too much? Um, so we try to find other people who drink three bottles of wine. And mm -hmm. that's then when you, when you know you're in good company and it's normal that you drink and it's normal that you are half passed out or that you talk really stupid things because it's part and parcel mm -hmm. of who you are. It's all normal. Everyone else does it, doesn't it? Yeah, about Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it uh, took time and it took finding other people who had given up mm -hmm. alcohol and all the other friends and to learn new coping skills and new tools. How did you find the other people? Uh, through a 12-step programs, primarily. Mm. And my then husband had gone into rehab. And I thought, finally, he's taken care of. Mm. I can focus on me getting sober. And slowly over time, it's been um, through the tools that I was introduced to, including a reliance on a higher power, a God. I never really had a relationship with God. I believe that there was something, you know, a universal power or something, but I had early on been, become disenchanted with organized religion and left all of that behind. And it's really hard when what I know today is that's where I lean for almost the support of any situation is my higher power. I think that is an issue that each and every person need to address themselves. There is no right answer. For some people, it is God and mm -hmm. organized religion that helps them. For others, and that includes me, uh, I do not believe in God. But like you say, I believe that there are things out there mm -hmm. that we cannot explain. So I believe in good and bad. I just don't use the word God or devil. And, 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 and I do not pray in the traditional sense. Yet I follow exactly. I, I can understand very much. 
that some pa uh, some patients, no patient is the wrong word because we are, yes, it is a disease, alcoholism, but no, we are normal people. We are people out there who are trying to live a life and we all have our unique circumstances and we all will find our unique niche and our unique path forward to hopefully that gorgeous person that is that is hiding in us or that we want to create so one way or the other who am i to say that that there is no god this is just this is if you're if you are happy and content and feel enriched by believing in god i'm so pleased for you it's as simple as that and I think, and, and let me say one more thing. The, the reason I say that is because many, many people are afraid of the 12-step program because they think mm -hmm. it's a cult, it's religion, mm -hmm. and I don't know, you get the, the, the cross burned into your chest as part of a rituation, ritual. No, 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 no. I was, in, in actual fact, every single meeting that i went through in in new zealand here was not very religious at all um it is uh, there there are meetings out there that thrive on the religious side of it and embrace that that part and there is no problem with that if you like that kind of meeting then you go there but there's so many other meetings that are secular and that have absolutely nothing to do really with god the only reason that you go to a church or a church hall is because they are typically for free or they're cheap. Therefore, mm -hmm. I can run them in that setting. But it has nothing to do that, that the pastor comes and, and, and gives you a mental rectoscopy what sins you have. <laughs> exactly. so no, that does not, that does not happen. So just a bit of sneak yeah. preview to those of you who have never been in an AA meeting. Well, and one of the things, you know, I... I tried on a lot of other people's concepts. <laughs> and the one that I finally settled on that made me the most comfortable was, uh, and it was actually given to me by a woman who was speaking from a stage in a sales convention of a, a multi-level marketing company that I was trying on. And she said, and, and this is what works for me, is my God rides a two-seat bicycle. God's in the front seat, I'm in the back, and my job is to pedal is to do the footwork and God steers, sets the direction, sets the pace and goes uphill and downhill. And the only time I have any problem is when I try and take control and crawl into the front seat <laughs> and then crash and burn. <laughs> I actually like that parable very, very much. It is. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, and and I really see myself more as the spiritual person, yeah. not as a religious person. And it's the spiritual tools 
the meditation and the journaling and the uh, things of that nature that have become the mainstay, not only in staying sober, as much as I use it as tools in my business and in dealing with situations that confront me. The amazing ideas that come through my pen as I'm journaling, whether I'm uh, in a state of anxiety or happiness, the wonderful ideas that come through and the comfort is amazing. Journaling is such a great tool for me. I very much agree. I do it myself and it seems to work really, really well for me. Uh, it keeps me straight. It keeps me uh, just the way I want that. So no, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So, and it is, it is uh, as much uh, a combination of to-do lists as well as achievement lists because we are mm -hmm. so bad in, in, in uh, acknowledging all the good stuff that we are doing. We're focusing on all the bad and, and it's mm -hmm. such a beautiful thing when I look at a long list of those things that I actually have created and have happily scratched out on my to-do list. And I think, wow, this was a good day. And little things that add up and they're all heading towards this, this beautiful new direction, that, that the vision that I see where I want to be and it is such a powerful thing, journaling. Absolutely. So, oh, well done. See, you create minds alike here. Uh, I love yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and you brought up one uh, point there when you were talking about the acknowledgements. One of the things that really turned the tide for me in a lot of situations from uh, the early sobriety when it was kind of like, oh, I'm never going to have any fun anymore. I'm not going to meet anybody. I'm not going to get to do good time things. You know, I may as well go as the thing says, eat some worms. At least that's what they said when I was growing up. And it's gratitude, the practice of gratitude, of acknowledging the gifts and the blessings that I've received in my life. Gratitude is actually a practice that every single major religion, irrespective of your belief, has as a primary pillar of that faith. Mm. And without gratitude, I, I don't think I would have the joy and the happiness I have today, nor gone through some of the really tough times mm. that happened in sobriety. And, Life goes on, drinking or no drinking. What a perfect, perfect way of saying it. Uh, it is so true, the gratitude. I did recently, I did a gratitude challenge on my YouTube channel. I'm not sure how many people took me up, but uh, I asked them to do one minute of gratitude in the morning and one minute of gratitude in the evening. So two minutes out of whatever it is, 18, 80 uh, minutes in a day. And I uh, made it very much a point for myself that I spoke out loud to myself in the morning uh, about what I'm happy and grateful for. And 
even now, whilst I'm saying this smile creeps on my face because that was exactly what happened every morning. So I'm happy and grateful. And the moment I said that already, the smile was there and it was honest and heartfelt and gorgeous. And, and whatever then came out, uh, whatever I was grateful for on that, in that minute, uh, really set my day. And it was like, like uh, realigning your compass uh, for mm -hmm. the day ahead. And the same in the evening. Uh, it was actually a very, very beautiful thing to do. And I, uh, it is something that I need to do so much more. It is so easy to then get swept away in this current of, of daily things that happen. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is really, really hard. And that's where the, the spirituality comes in. God mm -hmm. or no God, you need to make that time. You need to make the time for the breathing exercises, for the meditation. And for those of you who have never done it, uh, meditation is simply pressing the reset button on your brain mm -hmm. and just saying, stop for a moment. Let's just focus on right here, right now. Yes, yesterday was not such a good day. And tomorrow, oh my God, yeah, it could be a lot of shit. But that's neither of them is important. Right now, what's happening right now? And let's actually calm that down, control what you can. And that's really what meditation is, what, what the, the, the many spiritual concepts try to teach you and bring close to you. And it's such an important step. So meditation, do you do that regular? And gratitude, do mm -hmm. you do that regular? Yes, I have uh, actually what I call a daily ritual. And I'm pretty regular with it, maybe six out of seven days, where I will spend a few minutes in the morning just getting quiet and doing some deep breathing, sitting in, in a, my favorite chair in the bedroom, closing my eyes and just breathing and allowing my brain most times to just get quiet. And then when I finish that, I'll sit down and pick up my journal, which is there next to my chair, and I'll write uh, my gratitude list. Nice. And so I've been doing this for, I don't know, 15, 20 no, it's probably 25 years now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it has totally transformed my life. <laughs> I've got a bookshelf that is full of little red books. <laughs> that I use. You're quite right. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's a beautiful thing to do. And that's, that's where we grow so much. If you give us, give ourselves the chance to just stop for a moment and think and feel and explore what our body and our mind needs right now, rather than rolling with the punches and running from one brush fire to the next and, mm -hmm. and being there for everyone else and forgetting really to look after ourselves, which is so, so common out there and which leads to so many problems. Oh no, wonderful, wonderful. Wow, what a journey, what a journey. Mm -hmm. So you left the corporate world at one stage. When was I, that? When did you leave? Well, I 
had uh, been invited to leave at one point because <laughs> because the economy had turned down, not because uh, of any actions on my own. And I started a business, a financial consulting business for a while. I was an entrepreneur and it was uh, quite an experience. And after about 18 months, when I wasn't able to reproduce that salary I had and I was struggling, I finally was able to find a, another job and decided that I'll go back to the corporate world. And I stayed there for about another 17 or 18 years. And I left maybe six or seven years ago. So it's, it's kind of been a, a journey along the way, a little bit of entrepreneurship in the middle, sandwiching the corporate career, and then now that's what I'm doing as well, working with others to support them in reinventing not only their lives, but their finances mm. and their businesses. That makes people like you and me so valuable because we actually have been there. The knowledge that we have got doesn't just come from a book because mm -hmm. we have been there, we've crashed and burned, and we have used the techniques that worked to redefine us, to make us who we are now. And mm -hmm. that is a very precious, tremendous journey for many of us. That's the reason that I'm so humbled to have guests like you on this show, because we can learn from each other so much. I, I don't think that I have ever learned as much as now doing these interviews, because I've got access to some tremendous people. And mm -hmm. it's, it's humbling, and it's beautiful. So no, well done, you. Well done. So if people were to come to you and, well, how do people come to you? How do they find you? People find me, I do a lot of networking and people find me in one-to-one -one contact. And I also have a website, which is uh, the Reinvention Playbook, again, keeping.com and then I have a uh, gift which uh, your viewers could get it's the 101 ways to save money and that also has my contact information on oh it. brilliant brilliant yeah they're going to put a link to that down there so in the podcast description as well as in on the video uh, on the YouTube channel uh, so that's wonderful. Thank you for that link. And 101 ways to save money. There are so many things out there, but we are so much more busy nowadays in mm -hmm. spending the money that yes. this financial education is so much overdue. Wouldn't it be nice to have something like that as a core curriculum in high school uh, or yes. as a mandatory thing for school leavers that you have to yes. do one month of one month of rehab, one month of financial education, and one month of gardening and cooking. 
I think that would be... <laughs> Oh, that would be great. <laughs> how, well, how would we set up our youngsters? <laughs> it, it would be because in its own way, spending money and the reasons we spend money is almost like another drug. Mm. And having good skills in managing it and understanding it and using it appropriately mm. are so important. Important. So true. Yeah. If you were, um, how should I say that? If one of my viewers was by accident sitting next to you in an airplane seat and he could muster the, the courage to actually ask you one question or ask you for one piece of advice, what would you tell him in a nutshell? One piece of advice. What is, oh. <laughs> I know it's so hard, isn't it? Because we're brimming with all that knowledge. That is, where should they start? What's the first step? You know, that, that, that the journey of 10,000 miles, how do you start, how do you do a journey of 10,000 miles? You put your right foot forward. Well, what's the right foot forward for someone who is completely financially illiterate? Well, from my perspective, it's understand where you are and create a destination, a vision of where you want to be. <laughs> and that then gives you the path for those 10,000 steps. <laughs> One step at a time. Exactly. I love that division. That is, I've, I've written a book, My Steps to Sobriety, and it comes with a workbook. And in that workbook, there are, there are all kind of exercises related to the 12 steps. But one of the very first exercises is actually that I ask the reader to write down his vision as exact and as as Natural as they possibly can. They're three, four pages that are empty just for them to nail that vision down. And then we go through some of the steps and then I ask them again about the vision. Then I ask again because it's that vision that drives us, isn't it? If you do not have that vision, you're lacking everything. You you don't know where to go. You're you're standing stationary, and whilst you could take the first step. In which of the 360 degrees direction around you do you want to go? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like when you leave the house, if you don't know where you're going, <laughs> any road will get you there. <laughs> Very true. So true. <laughs> and then, okay, now they have got a vision. And whatever that vision may be, um, what would be the next step? Oh, the next step starts with, where are you? And everyone starts in a different place. And it could be they don't have any education about using credit. They don't know how to put their, uh, you know, list of bills together. So we start there. Where are you? Where are you? And then looking systematically at what do you need to do next is the next thing. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you need the education on how money works. 
maybe you need to put those credit cards aside. Mm. It really starts with where are you? And with that comes a lot of potential fear. And it's dealing with that. I think the fear is there before you do it. I think when you you do it, when you do it, then you really have the mental rectoscopy. Then you really you really put a spotlight on your expenses and you might be surprised how many takeaways you have got on your, on your credit card <laughs> yeah. or, yes. or, you know, you, you think, no, me, I don't drink much. And then you <laughs> see liquor store, liquor store, liquor store, liquor store. And you think, mm, hang on. And etc. So it is actually a very much holding a mirror in front of your face and mm-hmm. looking at things. We yes. did that recently again as a, as a family, and it was quite astounding. Uh, even with all my financial literacy now that I've got, still I was surprised about certain expenses that just snuck through the system. Mm-hmm. Where I thought, whoa, we can really tidy up here. And it was what it was. But had I not done that next step, yes. to looking at where am I now, I would have not realized how much money mm-hmm. I save, and then the money which I then can put towards paying off the credit card with the highest interest, and then the next one with the highest interest, and so on, until you're reducing your debt quite uh, systemically and, and, and succinctly. It's beautiful. Yes. But, oh, wonderful. So, so someone like you is so important out there. Oh, Sherry, it is, it's, oh, we need you. Can you clone yourself a bit and and travel around (laughs) the country? (laughs) Well, I'm working on doing some of that. I'm working on uh, going more online to be accessible. One of the things that people have uh, experienced during the pandemic has been an enhanced use of, of the online video conferencing. And that's really a direction. Next best thing to cloning. No, so true. So true. I couldn't agree more. And it is so beautiful uh, right now. I mean, it is, what is it? It's 11 o'clock here in, in on Saturday morning. What's your time now? It's three o'clock on, oh, four o'clock, excuse me, Friday. on Friday night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it is, and we are having a good time. Yes, there is a huge time difference. Um, who cares? Who cares? And we have exactly. had... Exactly. And we've had actually an excellent connection with Zoom. Um, there was mm-hmm. no lagging, no nothing. So this is a good example where essentially the, the sheer fact that you're in, in the United States and I'm in New Zealand means absolutely nothing because we can cooperate, work together, infuse each other, uh, make this a little bit better world, one interview after the other. And, and hopefully, in turn, give our viewers and listeners uh, the, the coping mechanisms and the ideas and the, the spark to change their life, to go out there, live their life to the fullest. And 
you you it's all quite good to think about the spiritual side of things and about the relationship side of things but there is actually the health side of things and then there's the financial side of things so these are sort of the four pillars in your life and if you neglect the finances you very quickly end up again in trouble in all the other areas of your life because inevitably they all influence each other and it's not very nice to be or it's not very easy to be happy if you constantly have got bills that are not being paid and suddenly the lights go out or the gas doesn't work so not very clever so not brilliant 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 i'm very much looking forward to to following you and your journey and I uh, will be delighted to put all the, the links uh, into our description below so that people can make contact with you. I think the online uh, course and online uh, discussions mm -hmm. will be tremendously helpful for a lot of people because it's actually not very easy to, to get that financial advice from someone you can easily check out i think the beautiful thing is by people just spending now uh the three quarters of an hour an hour in this interview watching you no doubt they will have already developed an understanding and a trust uh so therefore making that first connection and making that first call or or email will be so much easier because they already trust you so i'm, I'm really really pleased that we were able to to have you on my show here because no doubt you're going to be helping lots of people. Well, thank you, Stephen. I so appreciate the opportunity that you have given me to uh, share with you and your audience a little more and, and to develop an opening into who I am and how I believe and how I work. Oh, brilliant. Sherry, thank you so much. I sent you the hugest hug there to the other side of the world. And oh, thank you. look after yourself, okay? Okay. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Dream on, dream on, dream on, dream on.